Cheers. Cheers. Oh, fuck. That was close. Oh. And those... I'm Kana. I'm Ambi. And this is Diplomacy Games, the Ep- podcast about all things diplomacy whilst we get chicken. That's right. Episode 70. 70. Yep. And so those um, loyal listeners who listened to us in episode 69 um, would have heard that we're drinking at the Red Hook. And we're still drinking at the Red Hook. Indeed. Because we're doing a back-to-back drinking session slash podcast. Yep. And there's not many other places open. So... <laughs> So we're still in the midst of COVID-19 restrictions. Anyway. Although I hear it's meant to be getting a little bit better soon, so... Fingers crossed. Yeah. Um, maybe by the time this comes out, we're on to the next stage of... Yes. Whatever it is. Stage two or whatever it's meant yeah. to be. Yeah. Yeah, whatever. Anyway. Less of a COVID uh, podcast, more of a diplomacy podcast. Yeah. What are you drinking? Same um, Same as, as episode 69. It's the uh, Young Henry's Newtowner. Wonderful S- beer. So am I. It's, um, and you know what makes it better? Drinking in a public place. With and glass? With, with glass. With um, someone I can share interest with. Indeed. Here's, Here's a, a cheers, cheers to that. Cheers to that. Fucking hell, I need to get out of the house. Cross. There's only so much drinking you can do at home, Andy. I did lots of drinking on my holidays out at home. Yeah, but there's only so much of it you can do. I did as much as I could. I did too, but... <laughs> there's, <laughs> but there's only so much you can. That's <laughs> you know, true, that's you true. You have to have a drink out. Anyway... Um, Good on these guys for staying open, I have to say. Uh, yeah, I don't know um, whether they can you know, make much of a make of a profit, but then again, you know. But, you know, I reckon if you manage to stay open during something like this, then you're going to develop, like, people want to come back to you because you're, your clientele. Yep. You'd, you'd increase your clientele because you've got more of a, a smaller mark. Except for us, which actually have a policy of only going to the same place once. True. Unless we're doing back-to-back episodes. Such as this. In which case, highly recommend coming here because, you know, it's well worth it. They were open during COVID. Mm. Mm. What's that sauce? It's like a honey soy. Anyway, still on the chicken wings from last time. Still hot and warm for us, but, you know, a couple of weeks old for you guys. (laughs) Getting a bit festy by now. (laughs) Anyway, moving on, we... um, We've actually got another interview. Yeah, we've got our shit together and got two interviews happening. Yep. Should we jump straight into the interview with Board Brother? Board, brother Board. Brother Board. Brother Board. And that's Board as in B-O-R-E-D. Yes, yep. not who, B-O-A-R-D. But he'll talk as, about that as um, well. Swordman. Swordsman 3003 Swordsman. over at WebDip. Yep. So, without further ado, here's Brother Board. Uh, Brother Board, welcome to the the podcast. Um, great to have you on. Thank you for having me, friends. I'm really excited to be here. Oh, that's awesome. Um, I think you're our first uh, diplomacy blogger per se on, on the actual on the podcast. So, um, and I tell you what, you're a very very prolific writer. <laughs> um, extremely prolific. <laughs> Thank so, you. Um, tell me, tell me, why did you kind of get into? Well, first off, let's go. Let's go back to the, the beginning. How long have you been playing diplomacy for, and what got you into the game? Sure. So I've been playing diplomacy for about ten years now, and I first learned to play while I was in undergraduate school, which uh, some people would say university. 
and I had a, I always played board games. I played board games even since, uh, probably since I was too young to remember, since my family always liked to play games, very similar game to diplomacy, but never diplomacy specifically. Uh, but while I was at college, uh, a friend of mine introduced me to diplomacy. We ordered a bunch of pizza and we were at his apartment for a couple of hours and it was one of the more interesting games I had been introduced to. But I didn't have many opportunities to play because I couldn't get the requisite seven people together very often. I got my family members to play a few times, but it wasn't until maybe 2011 that I found out about online diplomacy and that it was a pretty sizable community, but most importantly, that I could get games going uh, relatively easily. I didn't have to find a time when I could get six of my other friends together for four or seven hours because uh, even if they wanted to get together they might want to play a couple of different games rather than just play diplomacy mm-hmm. and uh, I, I enjoyed it pretty well I, I, I had a good introductory experience to playing online diplomacy and maybe around four years ago or so I started playing uh, in earnest, uh, at a high level, very seriously, trying to play competitively. And I think the transition there was that I, throughout my life, I've always played board games, card games, and video games at a competitive level. Uh, I would enter into tournaments. But uh, after I became an adult and had a a job that consumed a lot more of my time and I didn't have as many opportunities, I felt, uh, to play games for the long stretches of time uh, as many times per per week as is necessary to stay competitive. I, I found myself really attracted to online diplomacy where the matches lasted a long time and you only had to commit a small amount of time per day to keep the game going. And I found this really interesting because then I could think about the diplomacy game I was playing at any time during the day when my mind was wandering or I got a little bored or something. But the actual time commitment wouldn't be that much, and I could get to it whenever was convenient to me. I mean, you know, sometimes I'd find myself responding to my press and entering orders maybe right before I go to bed, and it was no problem. And... Uh, Figuring out that I was pretty good at diplomacy and with the time commitment that was was reasonable for me, uh, I put my back into it. I started playing very competitively, trying to get into higher level matches, uh, learn from the players that were out there. I had already at this point, I was already at a pretty good level. I had read almost all the material that was available online, or at least that was easy to find especially books and stuff from the old play-by-mail days. A lot of those are available or easy to come by. I learned all of that. And as I got better at diplomacy, especially, I should say, especially at gunboat diplomacy, the variant where the players may not communicate with press, uh, I, I realized that maybe some of my ideas and thoughts on the game were, were quite different from what had come before, both because the the way players thought about the game changed from the old play-by-mail days, or even, even the advice I was finding on a lot of websites was based on face-to-face diplomacy, which didn't apply to me playing these online games. And uh, I started, you know, I taught some of my friends to play that I thought would be interested in playing online diplomacy. 
I started making little uh, maps or guides to try to help them understand some concepts and even wrote notes that I could use as a that I could that could send and resend to someone who I was teaching. So let's say I, I'm a teaching a player and they want to understand, well, how am I supposed to play Austria? Oh, no problem. Here's two or three reasonable opening moves you could make. Here's your strategy. Here's here's where the 18 supply centers you're looking for could come from. Well, if I write all that down and it's in a diet and I make a diagram, I can send that information to someone else in the future. So I took the time to do that. And over time, I realized that this the the one-off efforts I was making were maybe uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? I was putting a lot of effort into re redoing work that I had already done and it occurred to me around the same time uh, my brother had been encouraging me to start blogging about anything, anything in the world. He said anything. You, you, you write all the time. You have so many ideas on so many things. Just Just put any blog out there. I'm sure it'll be good. You really should do it. And I, I was encouraged by this, and I realized that a great starting point would be to take stuff that I had already written about diplomacy and make that available online in the form of blog posts rather than just notes. And that um, that got a really good response. That got a good response right away. People told me that the, the stuff that I had written about diplomacy, particularly online diplomacy, which didn't have as much written about it, and especially gunboat diplomacy, which I, I, I can explain, has become very popular since the time commitment involved is quite small and you can learn a lot about diplomacy and play a lot of matches uh, compared to what it takes to play a press game. And there's very little written about gunboat diplomacy especially, and I, I was encouraged by that. I, someone said, this is amazing. This is the best stuff I've ever read on gunboat diplomacy. I did not realize that it that there was so much depth to this game, I kind of thought it was a crapshoot. I didn't realize the players were thinking so much about how they were making decisions and how strategic the game was. And that positive feedback encouraged me to to write more and more. Uh, every time I write something, I get emails and messages and uh, positive feedback from people all across the community, new players, old players. They say, this is, this is helpful to me. I, I learned something. Uh, even if I disagreed with your opinion, I still I still learned something, and uh, that gives me a good feeling. I, I consider myself to be a an educator, and I apply that method uh, to many things that I approach in life. Even at my job, for example, I'm I'm commonly training new employees on things, and I approach them with the same uh, with the same effort and the same techniques that I would teach someone anything, any any game, not just diplomacy. I teach lots of other games. Uh, I've coached high school debate team before, for example, and I, I derive a lot of satisfaction from showing someone how to do something that they want to learn. And what's great about, about teaching something that's a competitive game or a hobby is that the only people who are there are people who really want to know, they really want to learn. Uh, so they're the best students. They will listen and they will try to improve. And uh, that, over time, that's that's led me to produce a huge volume of content for my blog. I, I wouldn't be surprised if it's over a million words at this point between all the different posts that I've made. Especially as you're probably thinking about these two Titanic journals that I wrote yep. about particular games. Um. I, all, to that, I can say that I, I think I, re, I write the way other people breathe air. 
uh, I can I can sit down and write a thousand words in in an hour. It's no problem. After I finish a day's work, I have the energy to do it. It's fun. It's no problem for me. I'm, I'm sure I could write about anything that I enjoy that way. And diplomacy is something that I enjoy very much. So it's no burden on me to to write so much about it. Yeah, I mean the the the, the two massive massive. Um well, they're journals, aren't they? Basically, talking about mm-hmm. experiences at the online diplomacy championship and also the uh, the biggest game of all time over at WebDip. Uh, I mean, collectively between the two of them, that's what uh, what two hundred and twenty thousand words almost. Yeah, something like that. Um, so, I mean, if if someone doesn't, yeah, I think there's certain things I find with with different people which appeal to them at different points of time obviously so uh, sometimes what you really want to do is just get your teeth into a big meaty well thought through uh, well documented um, you know overview and and level of detail like obviously those journals include Uh, and sometimes you're looking for something that's quite bite-sized and and other times it's something in between how do you feel that um, your your blog at brotherboard.com slash diplomacy um, tries to meet those needs in educating people depending on, on what they're after at any point of time. That's a great insight into the educational process. I, I, I often say that if you really understand something, you should be able to explain it in five sentences or talk about it for 50 minutes or talk about it for five days yep. uh, if you really understand it. And so with for, for my diplomacy content, I've varied my approach both in terms of the length of the content and the skill level of player that I'm hoping to appeal to so that there's something for everybody or that someone reading my content could could grow in skill over time. Maybe there's parts that they don't fully understand but they would come to understand later. So on the blog itself, the most basic content I have is a, uh, a series of pages called the Gunboat Solo Win Guides. And Gunboat Diplomacy, uh, again, is a variant of diplomacy where the players do not communicate through words. They don't exchange any messages through press. They may communicate through the actions of their pieces symbolically, which is very interesting, but they can't, they don't know who each other is and they don't communicate in words. So it's a simplified version of the game diplomacy. It's it's a it's a great way for a beginner to get introduced to the game because you can focus on just the mechanics of moving the pieces and what kind of strategy a, a you know a given power could could approach. So uh, because of that, I, I consider it the most uh, friendly to a new player and the content is written for someone who just is sitting down and they want to understand how am I supposed to win? I know that I have to get 18 supply centers to win. I, I know how to move the pieces around, but but really what am I supposed to do? Because I, I, I'm quite lost here. They can look at these guides and it will explain how solo wins are achieved in general in gunboat diplomacy, which usually revolves around crossing a threshold that most players call quote unquote the stalemate line. It's kind of a misnomer because there are many stalemate lines that can be created in diplomacy. But in gunboat diplomacy, there's one traditional stalemate line that runs through an area beginning in mid-Atlantic Ocean in North Africa, all the way up through the border between Moscow and St. Petersburg, that I call no man's land because there are no supply centers in that area. There's 17 supply centers on each side of this border, dividing the border into a northwest and a southeast area. 
So typically in gumbo diplomacy, a player wins by conquering roughly 17 centers on one side of the map and one more center on the other side. It's not 100% true. You might conquer 16 plus 2 or 15 plus 3, depending on the power. But because most of the players who play gunboat diplomacy recognize the strategic developments in the map as the game unfolds based on these traditional st- this traditional stalemate line, understanding that, that your goal is to conquer one side of the map and then get a little bit of a presence on the other side is a very helpful basic concept. So it teaches you things like, as Austria, my first action should be to, to tussle with Russia or Turkey or Italy maybe, and I should leave Germany well enough alone in the beginning. Anybody who's played diplomacy for a while knows that that's probably the way to go in most matches. In gumbo diplomacy, you will absolutely be destroyed within a few turns if you attempt something like that because you have no way to negotiate with the other players some, such, such a convoluted plan. You, you, if you're Austria, you're immediately in conflict with the players who are on your southeastern side of the map. And if you're going to win as Austria, it will be because you defeated all three of those players. There's really not a lot of alternatives because gunboat is so is so simplified. And so for Austria, I've got a little map that shows you which supply centers you, you need to take in order to win uh, and which ones are optional. Showing, for example, that you will definitely need all the Italian home centers, all the Balkans, all the Turkish home centers, all the Russian home centers minus St. Petersburg, and then plus two out of four of Tunis, Munich, Berlin, and St. Petersburg. And that'll hold true for 95% of the time that you win or see someone win as Austria in the gunboat diplomacy game. It'll be that combination of centers. So with that information in mind, a new player can go, okay, I understand what I'm supposed to do. Well, okay, maybe I should first, I, sh- I got to take over Serbia and Romania. All right, maybe I can take out Russia. Gives them a sense of priorities. It's, it's just a few sentences uh, that explain the basic stuff for each country. Then for the most advanced player, I've got those journals. Uh, for example, the journal on the biggest game of all time on web diplomacy, um, which is was based on the, the name of that comes from us wagering a bunch of fake points. They, they, the points don't do anything. It's just for fun. Uh, but we wagered a bunch of points and played a gunboat match. And for the entire match, uh, from beginning to end, I recorded everything that I considered uh, the entire time. And it's, it's extensive because every turn that goes by, I, I pondered so many things, speculating about what the other players might be thinking or trying to do and making specific predictions of what their actions were and I wrote uh, what their actions would be, which I wrote down, and then later compared what I predicted to what they actually did so that I could estimate the extent to which I understood and could predict that player which is a very important skill in gumbo diplomacy. You've got to enter into the mind of that player without them ever being able to speak to you in words. You know, is this how, how does this player think? And if you if I'm predicting their 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 moves 95, 90% of the time, okay, I do understand how they think. But if I'm down there in 40, 50 percent of the time, I'm not predicting their pieces at all. I, I really I really gotta change my mental model of what the how this player approaches the game so that I can understand what they're trying to do. Whether I'm opposing them or allied to them, I, I still have to just guess what they might be thinking. And so I kept all these notes and drew diagrams and explained I was Germany that game, how I thought Germany could win, what were my strategic goals, what made me decide to attack a given player each turn, and what and perhaps importantly to many advanced players, what I thought that the move choices implied symbolically. Since in gunboat diplomacy the players again they don't they don't message each other, you have to read so much meaning into a choice you know why did this player 
choose to hold instead of support hold, even though there's no tactical difference, the choice of one or the other signals something. And what were they trying to signal by that decision? And my my thoughts on that. So you, I mean, that, that's the that journal's about the length of a novel, right? So <laughs> these first things I talked about, the solo wind guides, you could read it in all of three minutes. I mean, it's a picture with some simple explanation. Whereas on the other end of the spectrum, this journal can take you a couple weeks to get through the whole thing. It certainly took me that much time to play the game. Um, and then there are articles that are in between. For example, I have an article um, that's just a series of articles that's about how to understand if players are lying to you in, in diplomacy. So this is about press diplomacy. I wrote a series of articles analogizing uh, diplomacy to onions with layers and said that it's a three-part, just a three-part article. So it's it's long. It's three parts. It's for for a player of intermediate skill who is playing diplomacy, and they they know that players are lying sometimes, but that they're also telling the truth sometimes. So what what methods could a player use to understand the difference? And I offer my tips. You know, there's lots of different lots of different techniques out there, uh, such as the technique of reading the board. Right, the, the where the where the pieces are on the board of a diplomacy game tells a long and voluminous story about a player's intentions that they may be trying to cover up with what they're telling you. Uh, and so if a player, what a player's telling you and what, how a player's moving their pieces are consistent, then they're probably telling you something truthful. But if what they're telling you and how they're moving their pieces is not consistent, that's, that's cause to be suspicious. And my, my ultimate conclusion is that even those two things are not enough to really understand whether a player is lying to you or not. You must know what is their ultimate strategic goal if they're trying to solo win how are they going to do it and is what they're saying to you consistent with your understanding of what their strategic goal is and if what they're telling you no 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 i'm not going for a solo win you think i don't know seems like you should be they're probably lying to you about that that's for intermediate players right people players who've been around the block once or twice they can kind of tell the difference between that lying on that level um, but for a player of intermediate skill, that could be quite insightful. Yeah, <clears throat> I mean, one thing I really, really love about you, about your blog is the fact that there's so many different layers or lenses, I guess, you could kind of place over it. So you know, you've you've got your, um, I won't say formulaic, but you know, there are certain um, guides there. If you're playing a particular uh, country, then you do this, this, this. You know what I mean? Um, and mm-hmm. some of those things you can. Um, you know, you can kind of follow as a process. But then you've got, as I said before, you've got all these additional um, insights from you around all these different lenses, you know, even around, you know, the, the, the certain choice of words that people kind of use to communicate with you, um, the approaches that they uh, they take with their behaviour. Uh, all those things, I think, are, are give a, a really good, well-rounded perspective um, for the for you know the, the diplomacy player, you know whether they're just in it for you know a bit of fun or whether they're uh, a bit hardcore. So um, I mean, on that front, I mean, just just so I understand, you you actually play also over at WebDip under the the handle Swordsman three thousand and three, correct? That is correct. So why what just just I'm interested. Why do you go under two separate handles, one for WebDip and then your brother bought um, over at um, on on the blog? Because web diplomacy does not allow anyone to update their username. Ah, okay. So I'm I'm stuck with the one I picked out when I was a teenager. <laughs> and, 
and um, just, just so everybody understands, when we're saying brother board, it, it's board like someone who's you know bored out of their mind rather than board like a game board. Um, <laughs> That's right. Uh, just, just in case someone starts trying to Google and going, oh, we can't find you. Um, so, so interesting. So, so you chose you know swordsman as a teenager type of you know um, avatar name, and then brother board. As time went by, um, what was your thinking behind both of those? Just I'm interested. Oh sure. So gosh, I probably chose that old swordsman moniker when I was 12 or 13, and there was probably not a lot of logic to it. Just I liked. Lord of the Rings and fantasy things, and uh, was maybe maybe it was the year two thousand two or two thousand three, and whatever website I was trying to make an account on that round until I found one that wasn't taken, and I used that for many years on many different websites. Uh, played a lot of games under that handle, uh, and if you're someone who played Warcraft three on the US East server back in the day, or you. Uh, Injective Super Smash Brothers during the era of Super Smash Brothers Melee, you may recognize uh, that username. I used to make videos, and uh, I, I played a, I played a lot of video games, boy oh boy, uh, <laughs> as a young person. But as I transitioned into adulthood, I suppose, uh, and I I I've had I have a a broader idea for what I can do with my. I guess my branding as Brotherboard. Uh, I, I care about games in general. I, I love all so many games, uh, board games, card games, party part of my life. As I said earlier, as long as I can remember, that's been a part of my life. And I use the things that I learned from games to help me in everyday life. I, I think they help me in my interpersonal relationships. It helps me in business. And it, I think it goes the other way too. I think the things that I have I have learned from my uh, everyday experiences are are things that I sometimes bring back and use to play to play games. And so, uh, although brotherboard.com/diplomacy is by f- far and away the most successful part of my website, it's it's why why I keep producing diplomacy content. Everyone loves it. I get positive feedback. I have no reason to stop. I have a lot of things to say about diplomacy. I could probably <laughs> could probably write about it until I, you know, the end of my life. There's it's such a it's such a complicated and deep game. So, so where do you get your, uh, idea, do you get your but, ideas for for your your posts then? Um, a couple different places. One is that there are fans that just write in questions that I think are interesting or complex enough that it warrants. Uh, that I, I could write it. If, if I wrote them an answer that was a, a post on my blog and, and give them their answer that way. And so that that's one source. Uh, another source of inspiration is I have a considerable backlog of ideas of, of things that I've wanted to write about. Uh, every time an idea strikes me, I make a note somewhere. Uh, digitally, I, I don't keep paper notes. I'm, I'm well beyond that. But I, I make a I make a note of, uh, of an idea that I might have, and, and sometimes uh, in a flash of insight, I'll, I'll outline out most of what I want to say just in that moment, and then it's simply a matter of taking the time to come back, uh, write it down into something that's that's a good prose, add some funny pictures, etc., and make it into a blog post. I, I would say that I have almost as much draft content for my blog right now. That's that's just sitting there waiting to be finished. As I have on the blog, officially published. Wow. It's just uh, I work, you know, I work full time, 
So I don't if I I don't I don't have all the time in the world to sit down and commit to these things. So if, I, I I keep I'm I've recently been rewatching the Lord of the Rings during quarantine. Uh, and I know that this is, I, I promise I'm going somewhere with this, but it's a you know, beloved film series. I've always liked it, always liked fantasy and so on. And uh, I got inspired to read the Silmarillion after watching the movies. And I pondered how J.R.R. Tolkien had written the Silmarillion, which he thought was maybe even the more important or better of his works. And uh, he passed away <laughs> before he could ever publish the thing with notes everywhere. And his son had to get them together and publish it. But I, I, I thought to myself, is this going to be me? Am I, am I going to have all these piles and piles of mostly finished? It's 90% of the way there, but I, I really just want to polish it before I publish. Um, but that's it. That's, that's the truth. For example, I have a, in, in, my, in my draft something that's like a... Oh, it's like five or six thousand words draft of advanced English gunboat diplomacy play that explains how to play every possible two power lines with diagrams of which centers are you're likely to capture and which ones you should help your ally capture, why different strategies are more effective than others and how to decide between them based on the, the board that unfolds and all this stuff. And if I, you know, if I find the time to sit down and polish it and get it organized, you know, so that someone someone reading it could understand what I was trying to communicate, then, uh, then I'll publish that and that'll be available to people to for posterity, I guess, uh, you know, what my thoughts on how to play England in gunboat diplomacy. It's such a specific topic, right? <laughs> this is a this is a diplomacy is oh, I'm sure not there's the most plenty of opportunity to write at university thesis on that if you really wanted to. <laughs> Yes. It's kind of like what you said before, like, can you communicate about this, you know, in, in five sentences versus, you know, five, you know, I don't I can't remember what you meant, it was five hours or whatever. Um, so when you're, when you're spending time writing these things, how much time on average would you probably spend a week or a month on, on just the actual written component and, and the creative element of what you're doing with the, with the blog and diplomacy? That's a that's a that's a fair question, and I I myself have only recently started keeping track of the time so that I could make those estimates. Because until recently, I, I just thought of writing for my blog as just entirely a hobby. You know, whatever whatever amount of time that I'm willing to commit to it is the time that I do, and it's something that's fun for me. I I, I feel delighted the whole time that I'm working on the writing, so the time spent doesn't seem to matter. But I thought, I really should know the amount of time that it's taking me to do these things. So, for example, when I was uh, – so even though it's difficult to answer, I can give you some estimates. Um, when I was keeping my first diplomacy journal, it overlapped somewhat with National Novel Writing Month in the United States. I don't know if other, other countries there is such a thing. Um, but it's where it's where people try to write a novel inside one month, uh, even maybe while you have a full-time job. And there are word amounts that you're trying to achieve each day to help you reach this goal. And some friends of mine were doing that, and I, I have not written a novel, but I thought, okay, I, I can participate in that. I can I can be a part of this fun, and I'll, I'll write this diplomacy journal. And so I, whatever amount of time they were spending to write uh, to try to write a novel in the in the course of about 30 days, that was the amount of time that I spent. So I would say I would come home um, from work and then maybe spend two or three hours uh, writing all that out. And when I was writing my second journal, which was a press game, 
that was considerably more difficult uh, because I had to write all the press for the game and also keep an notes on what I was thinking when I said everything that I said. That's a, I can't remember if this is a, a fiction story or something in literature, but there's, there's, there's something out there that's a story about a guy who tries to record everything that happened in the, over the course of one day of his life, and it took him the rest of his life to record the events of that one day. I felt kind of like that guy trying to explain everything that I was thinking at the time that I was writing my messages and stuff. That that actually got pretty overwhelming. I, I was staying up well past a normal um, bedtime, you might say. I was going up until well past midnight. To try to get all those notes in, knowing that for the for the goal that I wanted to achieve, which was to write down everything that I was thinking as I was thinking it, not with hindsight, so that it would be completely unbiased, uh, only using the information that was available to me in that moment to make my notes. Uh, I sacrificed sleep, and it was it was pretty hard. Uh, I don't know that I could that I'd be willing to do something like that again. <laughs> Uh, at least not while I work full time. I mean, maybe, you know, 30 years from now when I retired, if I'm still playing diplomacy, I might try that again. It was very difficult, but I was motivated to see the thing through because I felt that it was maybe this once in a lifetime opportunity. It was the online diplomacy championship. I knew it was an important tournament. The, the, the match would be interesting. It wouldn't be contrived. It was against opponents I had never played before. And so to to see a contemporaneous account of how someone played a very serious and competitive online diplomacy match is something that um, it may be unique. I don't know that any other person will ever be able to bother to do what I did again, and that kept me motivated the entire time. For the most part, though, <laughs> I probably spent maybe you know an hour every couple of days trying to come up with something. My published my publication cycle on brotherboard.com is about every three or four weeks. So, you know, a couple hours a week over the course of three weeks results in a pretty good piece by the end of that. Yeah, I think I came across you um, actually with um, Humble Heaps um, diplomacy briefing with these regular, you know, pumping out that every week and, and talking about some of your strategy articles there. Um, you, you mentioned that... Um, Obviously, well, I was actually just doing a little bit of Googling. If I search for, like, you know, diplomacy game blog or anything like that, uh, you're, you're coming number one on the list. Um, oh, wow. So, but yeah, so good work there. It probably happens to help by having a, a million words indexed by Google that goes, oh, I think, <laughs> I think you know what you're talking about. I'll send some traffic your way. Um, but do do you I mean I'm, I'm just interested because of of the word diplomacy and, and we obviously talk about it in the nature of a game but you know there is this real life function called diplomacy do, do you ever find or do you ever get any kind of you know weird traffic coming through for people going oh this isn't what I expected or <laughs> oh sure um, there there <laughs> probably the most notable one is I I and one of my articles about uh, the different goals a player might have in a diplomacy game. I made a joke about the the Netflix reboot of Voltron and how the 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 villains have they declare victory or death uh, throughout the show. It was a show I was watching at the time. I try to include little memes and things in my blog post to keep it interesting. And um, so I explained that moment in the show in the description of that image and. 
by gum, that image and my description of it gets a lot of people coming to my blog. I think there were fans of the show who were trying to understand what is meant by the um, the Galra expression Vrepit Saw. For fans of Voltron out there, ha, you know, victory or death. Uh, so that's probably the weirdest thing that a, that a, a random image I included as a joke gets a significant traffic. And um, actually, I might just kind of let Kana. Do you have any questions at the moment, Kana? Because I've been asking everything so far, and I don't want to dominate the conversation. Just let me unmute myself. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I was, I was wondering. You, you've, you've, you've got, you've got all this massive body of work behind you for the game of diplomacy. Do you touch on, or have you explored any variants of any sort, or is that more? Um, not much of an interest apart from the gunboat variant. Uh, so I, I have uh, played many of the diplomacy variants over the years. Uh, some I'm more interested in than others, and I, I'm, I'm happy to talk to you about that. I think that I have never written about the variants because I have not even finished writing <laughs> all my thoughts about the classic game uh, to reach the point where I would start going into the variants. Um, a personal favorite of mine, I think, is the if I remember the map name correctly, it's World Diplomacy Nine. Might be the version they have on Web Diplomacy. It's not very that world map and the gameplay behind it is for whatever reason not terribly popular, or it's, it's made fun of. And I, I don't understand this. I think it's I think it's a pretty interesting and well made map, and I like that it's got a huge number of players that play on it, and that it has. Um, a wraparound it's a it's a spherical map so the stalemate lines there are stalemate lines but they're they're much harder to perceive they're, they're more counterintuitive and I, I like that variant pretty well uh i like the i forget the precise name of it but it's a it's a north american map with a small portion of south america on it and it's got a larger number of players i, I think the balance on that map is not that great but i still think it's interesting to try to make a map out of that geography and i think it's an interesting variant i have played a certain amount of the uh shoot what's the name of it it's the the ancient mediterranean map and it has countries like rome persia carthage and so on that ancient mediterranean the ancient mediterranean uh i i think that's pretty interesting for a five-player game uh I'm impressed. I, I would definitely play that variant over five Italy's. Uh, ten times out of ten, I think that I would play Ancient Mediterranean over five Italy's for a five-player variant. It, it's kind of a player might say that it's boring because it's almost symmetrical. It's it's so well balanced. But to me, that's kind of interesting. And I, I one thing that I always ponder when considering diplomacy variant maps is the degree to which the powers are asymmetrical. Because in the original map, I think that is by far the most interesting component about Calhammer's original design, that the countries are still fairly well-balanced despite the fact that their their properties are unique. Each one's totally unique, and understanding those differences is, is a major component in succeeding in the game consistently you know for example austria only has the one port and it's one of the worst ports in the game but uh 
but Austria is not necessarily weaker just because of that. You just have to play around it. And so uh, for variants like the world diplomacy map that I like to play on, that uh, those those asymmetries are incredibly pronounced where you have you have powers that are almost completely isolated from each other and powers that are born and circled with a bunch of neighbors and some that have different some that have more ports than others or they're located in different places and the strategy of how you would approach playing as each power is is even far more different than even the original diplomacy map so one of the weaknesses of some variants, such as the ancient Mediterranean map, or uh, by definition, Five Italy's, is that the the powers are, are, in order to make them seem more balanced, or just to simplify the process of balancing them, they're they're made very similar to each other, and I think that is probably, from from in my personal taste, um, a weakness of some variants. I like to see some really really crazy. Uh, asymmetrical powers, you know, maybe maybe a power that's got home centers on different continents or something like that. Wow, oh, there's only one power that has that in the world diplomacy map, and that's the South Africa power, and I just think that's that's just really interesting. I don't know, I I love it. Um, there are the variants that have really complicated rules differences are ones that I have never approached that have different types of units. Maybe they've got planes, or maybe. Um, there's different times of year where the rules change, or perhaps each power has unique properties. Not familiar with those. I'm, I'm sure it's very interesting, but just I've just never taken the time to play it. One variant that I'm very interested in to play someday, but have not done so, is a Fog of War variant on any map, just because that reminds me so much of my experiences playing real-time strategy games, in which Fog of War is a, is a really important strategic component of the game. And that seems like something I would like, seems like a way I would like to play the game, but I never got around to it. Is this, is this what you were hoping I would talk about? <laughs> oh, tell me, tell me, tell me more. Oh, no, 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 I was just going to say, you definitely have to. Uh, I, I don't think they've got it over at, web, play, at um, web Diplomacy, do they, at the moment? No, Web Diplomacy, although the community is enormous, and I very much enjoy the company of the players, has a small number of variants. Hmm. If you kind of just sign up to at, at V Diplomacy, I think the the Fog of War Classic map is probably the the second most popular um, variant that's there. So you should be able to pick up a game. Probably not quite as fast as Web Dip, but you know you can get it going pretty quickly. And it is a, it, I I personally think it's a great experience. And I think you know, Kane, I'm sure you'd agree as well. Um, can I just before we kind of wrap things up, just get a bit of a, a feel? Do, do you play any face to face diplomacy at all? So I, I probably have not played a game of face-to-face diplomacy in eight years or more, okay. and it's it's not um, not because I'm averse to playing face-to-face games. I, I show up at uh, you know for example I I'll play Friday Night Magic at my local game store. I, I love Magic Gathering, but I every time in the in recent years that I felt like I had the ability to go to a, an interesting face-to-face tournament. Something came up and got in the way. I, I wanted to go to the World Championship, for example, a couple years back, and my family scheduled my grandfather's 90th birthday. And oh, wow, you know, there was no way I could say, "Listen, I can't make your 90th birthday, Grandpa," because I want to play a board game. Can you? Wait but I think that. <laughs> <laughs> 
but I, I desire very much uh, to begin going to face-to-face tournaments. I hope to compete in face-to-face the face-to-face world championship someday. If I, you know, if I can find the time, or, shoot. I mean, I would take off from work to compete in something like that if it's doable. I mean, it, at the moment with the quarantine situation, it, those those tournaments are being held online, so it's kind of defeating the purpose of why I would be advantaged by going to a face-to-face tournament. But I'm I'm very interested. Uh, I would like to find out, you know, if the skills that I've developed can translate to the face-to-face community or what more things I have to learn. It, it's definitely very interesting to me. So, so as um, obviously the, the world at the moment with, with corona going on still is um, kind of forcing a lot of those face-to-face games to now move online and for probably uh, many players who are quite happy to play face-to-face um, as, as their main way are obviously now going online to be able to you know, actually just compete and continue. Are you seeing much difference at all or um, with your traffic coming through the site or the, the type of questions that people are asking now with you know, bringing that influx of, of people into the online environment? I can't explain it, but I've had a huge influx of German traffic to my website. Uh, if you're a German fan and you're listening to this podcast, please write me to explain why you suddenly became interested in my blog. <laughs> but as, as far as the as the feedback I, I got from fans and so on, I would just say that it, it increased a little bit. The traffic on my blog doubled, and I recently made a campaign to try to get Patreon patrons to see what you know what level of support I could get on Patreon. Uh, from fans, and I got a pretty significant response. Uh, and certainly, the messages and things that people send me, even when they become, you know, just a one dollar a month patron, it it warms my heart. And I have, I it made me wonder. I've started wondering whether, if I really put my back into the content I'm producing online and expanded to write about other other games in addition to diplomacy don't worry the diplomacy is not going anywhere but if i expanded to write about all the other games that i enjoy playing of which there are many and maybe made video content and i have games of my own design i design my own board games uh some of which i think are really interesting if i you know maybe i could really produce those and start a campaign on um Kickstarter. If I if I pulled all those things together, could I somehow <laughs> scrape together enough money to make it my full time job to educate people about board games uh, and share my love of games with people all the time? I don't know. I don't know if that's possible. But so far, I one by one, I'm getting fans trickling on Patreon. It makes me wonder. Well, look, it, it doesn't doesn't uh, hurt to try yet to uh, get there. I, th- I think that would be everybody's, you know, any diplomacy player's dream, you know, to effectively be <laughs> paid to, <laughs> to, to produce content around the game. Um, well, let me, I, I tell you what, as far as I know, I'm not saying that this is a fact, just, just within within my horizon of knowledge, I'm, I think I'm the first person who is the first um, paid tutor for diplomacy, I have a Patreon patron who is paying me, paying me to coach them at diplomacy, and something I've done. I've coached other players for many years now, and to to be honored, to be honored by the idea that someone would would pay for those teaching services, uh, just blows me away. And uh, 
I, I really appreciate it. And so that's put it in my mind. Oh, wow. Maybe, maybe I could cobble together enough sources of revenue to make this uh, my, my thing. I don't know. I mean, I'm not quitting my day job anytime soon. No, no, none of us are. Um, just, just, I'm, I'm, I'm very interested to know how how has their gameplay changed since they've um, taken you on as a, as a as a tutor? Oh, we haven't started yet, so we'll find out. Oh, okay, uh, they just they just agreed to do it recently. Cool, very cool, um, brother board. I think I'll, we're getting very tight on time. We might have to wrap things up. Kana, do you have anything else you want to ask quickly? No, just thank you very much for um, taking the time to talk to us today. You're very welcome. It's been a pleasure to be on your program. Awesome. Thank you very much, Brother Board. I'd like for you to finish your chicken. Welcome back. Oh, welcome back. (laughs) (laughs) Cheers. Cheers. So, um, I tell you what, that man is a prolific writer. Isn't he, Joss? Yep. I mean... I, I think it's actually a fantastic idea for somebody to do what he's done, to kind of have that large-scale written format around big games, you know, almost like a stream of consciousness. Here's why I'm doing what I'm doing. Here's what players have said to me. Here's what I think about that. Yep. I mean, we all go through that when we're actually playing a game, whether it's a, an online game or a face-to-face game. It's just really interesting to get somebody to, to just document that. Yeah, and to share with other people. Yeah, you know, that's, it, it's it's pretty amazing because you don't. It, it's a real gift to sort of have that insight into other people's thinking, which all makes end of game statements so fascinating to read. In my mind, um, regardless of whether or not I've actually even played the game, reading other people's view on why they did what they did when they did it. Um, but the problem with end of the game statements is it's usually. Particularly in some of the bigger variants that we play, you only find people who kind of get to the end really will kind of provide a lot of that end of game viewpoint, don't you think? I remember, uh, I remember playing a um, a game, would have been a couple of years ago now, where everyone in that game agreed to write their thoughts in the new. It was then new notes, so you could yeah. write notes to yourself. Um, but would actually write their thoughts as to what they were doing and what they were going to do on that turn. Yep. With the agreement that at the end of the mat, or end of the match, you would publish all of your notes. Yep. That to, to, to the public press. Yeah. And that was a really interesting game to play. Um, hard to kind of sift through. Some people wrote copious amounts of paragraphs on a turn, and other people went. Uh, don't trust Turkey. Stabbed him. Stabbed him. <laughs> and then moved on to the next one, you know. It's, um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and everything in between, you know. Um, but as an exercise, it was quite an interesting game to, yep. to, to have as a record. I have to go right back to find that. Find okay, yeah. But I do remember playing that game. I think the other thing that's interesting about Brother Board's um, blog, which we'll, incre- we'll include in the show notes, the link through to that. So go to diplomacygames.com. Um, Look for episode 70. I don't know what it's going to be called. We'll work that out later. Probably interview with Brother Board. Yep. And um, we'll have a link there in the show notes. Or uh, maybe it'll actually be within your smartphone if you've downloaded it that way. Um, but no, I liked around how he has those strategy guides and tactic guides for each of the main um, yeah. countries. Obviously yep. on the classic board. 
uh, as well as his insights on how to play gunboat, which we touched on a little bit earlier about his journaling, but um, he's got a lot of other things there about how to play gunboat, which is really, really cool. And it's good insight. You know, it actually really makes the argument against the, the sort of the purest belief that gunboat is not a game of diplomacy. Yep. Really it does. I mean, there, there, there's strong arguments put forward as to why, yes, it's not the traditional game of diplomacy, but it's a legitimate game of diplomacy. Yeah. For X, Y, and Z reasons. Well, so you can make the same argument just, you know, between face-to-face versus online or, you know. Yeah, exactly, exactly. What happens if you play face-to-face but you play a variant face-to-face? Is that still diplomacy? Of course it is. Of course it is. Absolutely. Absolutely. Although some people would probably say, no, 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 no. But, you know, hey, each of their own. We've all got our, we've got our things we like doing. Our picadillos, picadillos and curios. Picadillo? Picadillos? Picadillos, yeah. Is that, that's what it is? Yeah, it is. It might be, yeah. 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 Cool. Yep. Um, so, again, thank you very much, Brother Board. Pop over to uh, his blog. And, um, you know, he's yeah, also got a very a active Twitter account. So also worth yeah. having a bit of a look at him there. And it's not just diplomacy games there that he... Well, games of diplomacy... He's got he other stuff, He's too. got a whole heap of other yeah. stuff there, so it's well worth a read. Um, and, you know, I hear that um, with this experience, he's well worth um, getting as a coach. Yes, if you need a coach. I don't think you need a coach anymore, Kana. Now you're in the top 50. I've, 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 yeah, I've been stabbed enough to you know, to work from it. But um, no, like, great. Yeah, professional, great. professional diplomacy, diplomacy coach. coach. Well, brother, well done. That, that'd be uh, pretty good to have on your, uh, on your LinkedIn profile, <laughs> yeah, wouldn't it? Yeah, wouldn't it, John? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Not just um, diplomacy commentator, but professional diplomacy coach. Anyway. Very good. <laughs> So, a um, couple of other things. I mean, obviously, Brother Board talked a lot about the online stuff. One thing I picked up recently was the boom that's actually occurred in the online game yeah. environment. Jeez, hasn't it been massive? Eh? Yeah, yeah. Like, so, when we originally started this podcast three, almost four years ago, although we make, make jest of that occasionally, probably it was four years ago back in, in August, so about three years nine months whatever that is three years four years ago now. Four. Uh, yeah it'll be four years in August Jesus anyway so one of the reasons for that was that we were worried that the game online was starting to die so we were particularly looking at V Diplomacy where there was like only about 500 active players at any point of time and now in the middle of the COVID world it's over 1300 on on, 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 a, on a sub-site of diplomacy. Yeah, it's like a right? niche, it's like, like niche, a niche site. site for diplomacy playing variants, you know. So just over 1,300 players, that's that's impressive. Yeah. For and they're active players, active not just people players. who yeah. turned up pissed off. They're still playing the game. Yeah, active playing. So I don't know what WebDip's at, but... I, I, I wonder if they've had a similar spike on... Um, That's probably worth checking. You, you Google yeah, yeah, that whilst I talk a little bit. Yeah. So, But one of the things, and this kind of actually explains why, you know, yeah. when you were going through your um, EU4 game in the, the last episode, when you were kind of doing a bit of a shout-out to various players, well, we're seeing, I don't know, player names that I don't really recall having seen. So there must be a new influx of players. I think it's webdiplomacy.net. It is, yeah. Um... 
and so we've got these new players coming in and one thing I've noticed recently in trying to join new games is how many games when you try to join are invitation only games so I think there tend to be maybe a, a flux of new players also who are probably used to playing face to face yeah but can't at the moment so they're still yeah. playing their game with their mates but they're doing it in a online environment and I have to say like the etiquette behind that is brilliant so I mean just take for example the, the various ethical dilemmas that you would come up against when you've got a bunch of mates joining a game online, you all know each other in real life or have had significant contact through, I don't know, your Discord server or whatever it is, and here you are, you're playing a game and you just need like one or two extra people to fill it up, and you fill it up with some people that you don't know, of course that's going to create a, you know, a, 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 a skewed game, mm. right? Because the, the poor unfortunate who joins it... Probably going to be the first one stabbed. Probably going to be the first one stabbed or removed from the game. Um, unless, you know, they're really ethical and keep it... You know, that's not human nature. So I just got to really, you know, congratulate all those people who are doing I don't know, the right stab, thing. stabs you all the time. Yeah, <laughs> but that's just the way he is. <laughs> um, but, I, you know, just like big pat on the back for doing the right thing. Playing in password-protected games, the variance that equal the size of your game group. It's just really, you know, an honourable thing to do mm -hmm. in a world that maybe, you know, honourable things don't seem to happen all that often. Um, wow. Yeah, WebDip's got... Over 3,000 active players. Active, yeah. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, well over double the amount of players who are actively playing games. So WebDip's got a much more, you know, active forum than um, VDIP. So hey, you said that the um, the VDIP forum was about to move to the same WebDip forum, Web and it hasn't happened. Well, Ollie's been looking at it. He's yet to implement it. But what hasn't he done it? Because I've been kind of contributing now to that, you know, winning forum <laughs> post again. <laughs> yes. I set off a whole heap uh, of people then responding to that. <laughs> Do you see the most recent ones? Oh, I've got to pull it up. I've got to pull it up. Um, but yeah, I mean, how long has it been that you've been ignoring that thread? Nine years. Nine years now. Yep. going. Yep. But I've just started again. Uh-huh. And so this is a thread that's been going for, you know, God knows how long. Nine years. Um, well, probably longer because you've had a chance to... No, I started at the very beginning them. and then I said, fuck this and stop it. <laughs> okay. Um... So I started. I put in another post last night. Oh, about haikus. Well, oh, yeah, I just put it. I was maybe had a couple of drinks, and uh, started posting in haiku. And now everyone started posting in haiku. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those ones. Like Gopher is not. Gopher is not pleased. No, he's not pleased. <laughs> he started going on a. Did you see what he started saying about Australians? No, I didn't. Yeah, go to, the, uh, go to the page prior. Oh, hang on, okay. Um, no, 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 it'd be page prior to that. Oh, up here. Yeah. Um, this was started by G-Man314 back in um, 13th of March, 2011. Nine years. Yeah, so nine years, you're right. Anyway, so what did you, what, what's he saying about Australia? Aussies exclude me being a snobbish bastard like he was a brick. Oh, gopher. It's because you're a gopher. No one likes gophers. 
Mouse was especially just watch Caddyshack. That like gophers exactly. <laughs> um, Mouse was winning once, and Gopher was displeased. All is right again. He's on. He's on the ball. Rub bridge of my nose in abject resignation. Put glasses back on. Yes, yes, yes. And Aussies, ex- yeah, again, he's back on the Aussie set. Um, you post, haikus are not dumb. In fact, they're lots of fun because I say so. Anyway, that one's still going. So, um, so it's, it's, it's really encouraging, I think. So what will be interesting is after um, the whole COVID thing dies down, whether that um, player base stays or how much of that player base stays versus moves on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, and we always usually get a seasonal uptick, I guess, during the uh, summer holidays in the US. Yeah, it's true. When does that kind of kick in? It's kicking in now, isn't it? Maybe that's why everything's got a bit of an uptick as well. It's got a COVID yeah. uptick on top of that. Yeah, could well be. Hmm. Um. Anyway, let's move on. So, um, actually, one of the things I found recently as part of these games is that I I was goaded. No. I was. You were goaded into what? I got a I got a PM from Sam J saying, "Hey, uh, Ambie, are you aware of this particular um, game that's been named after you?" Oh, really? <laughs> oh, for real. Is it, is it is it active? No, it, it hasn't started. Well, it hasn't started yet. So if you go to if you go to new games, <laughs> and I think this came from the fact that I kind of said oh, I won't be playing much at VDIP, and the fact that I started up this you know games for people who are on more than two thousand points, oh, mm, so yeah, I don't yeah. kind of ruin my rating. <laughs> because I actually know I'm, I'm not really as good as I my points indicate so that if I did play against poorer players I've got just as much chance to lose against them as better players which would then just ruin my rating and ruin my general reputation as you know a uh, diplomacy podcaster slash player um, you haven't found it yet? oh it's going through it's loading things oh uh, shit yeah. okay it's, I can't remember what it's exactly called, but something like, you know, the, the ambassador should to join this game or whatever like that. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to try it on this on this other device. But there well, isn't many players playing it that are actually got high VDIP ratings. There are lots and lots of players on, you know, a thousand, whatever like that. So well, don't give it away. Is it, is, it is it an anonymous game? Or are you just seeing it because of your... I'm seeing it because I'm trying to join. Well, no, because I'm going to look at it. Am I able to see that? Yeah, because you're a mod. Oh, okay. You can Whoops. see. <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm just asking. Like, all right, new games. You're full. Oh no. Um... Turns up for me on page there's, two or something. Highlander charge. Ecky Trump's Scottish brother. Which looks like fun. That's the Scottish Clan Wars one. Um, there's, oh, Mongolian's still up there. There's a 1066 game called 1066. There's Mong Thong, Thong Gumboat, which is another Mongolian one. Um, Salty Eddie, Absolute Wall, Genesis, Diplomacy. I love the names some of these come up with. Um, War. 
Mongolia. Yeah, so wacko's world. A slab of meat. Okay, go on to the next page. Oh well, it doesn't really matter. Fall in the spring. Herb ever smells. Enjoy division. The ambassador should join because they need to be. Yeah, it doesn't kind they of run out of letters. They ran out of letters. <laughs> game title, which is a reno Europa Renovatio game. So that that's gonna. Oh, sure. Because what do you mean? it's like um, three players left to the game. Really? Oh, I'll have another look at it, but you know, see how we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not anonymous. Isn't it? No. Ah, okay. Well, there we are. That's why I knew. press. So you paint a target on your back there if you join it. That's what I mean. I, I think, you know, the the if you're kind of baited like that, I think you do paint a target on your back straight away. It's like, it's like okay, remember back, actually, you know, you weren't in this game, but I've talked about this before on the show. When uh, we went to the Melbourne Open, it was the last game... And Andrew Goff had to kind of cover two tables. And yep. because of his reputation, everybody just ganged up on him. On one board. Yep. On one board. Yep. And I think the same thing would happen for um, this particular game if I joined it. Why is that? Because it's I'm human nature, Kana. Take someone down a peg or two. <laughs> As we would say in Australia, it's a tall poppy syndrome. It is tall poppy syndrome. Uh, so, um, for those of you overseas, tall poppy syndrome is an Australian, I don't know, thing that we always do, which is... Cut people down cut, size. That's right, yeah, yeah. yeah. You're, you're too much ahead of us, you've got to pull you back down. So, um, other things that are going on. There's been a couple of new... Um, where's, what's that one? Oh, this is one of the ones I sat for you. Oh, okay, well, that doesn't matter. We won't talk about that one. We won't talk about that one? Nah, no. No. Um, um, they're still their games are continuing. I don't think it's going to be that interesting stuff there. Those your um, ambassadors should join. Bloody bloody blah, blah, blah. So the other thing is we said before is VDIP has got two new games, two new variants up and running. Yes. Scottish clans, which I think was also highlighted in um, uh, Umble Heaps Diplomacy Brief recently. Yes, Scottish clan wars. Um, I haven't been able to get a, I haven't been able to get a game going for this one yet because there's not enough players on you know high rankings that are prepared to join oh i know I just it's sad. to the lower levels of gamers right? i know yeah. uh, anyway but but, but you <laughs> you've been invited because obviously you, you know you well, don't I, have the same type of levels of concern as me yeah I, you know gain points lose points it's all the same it's about playing the game is it you gotta be in it to win it my friend indeed you do so tell me all about scottish clan wars Akaladi. Well, I can't really go into too much depth about which one are you this on this particular one? Game is this an, this is a anonymous? anonymous which one are you? Um, okay. But what's happened is one of the players has grown very strong. Yep. And is threatening to take over the the map, and I've had to really try and um, make peace with my neighbours before um, that happens because it's a winner-take-all game. So, ah, is it gunboat? It's a gunboat game, so fingers crossed we can hold him, but you know, I don't have much hope. Um, but to the actual the actual map itself, um, there's you, know, you play one of seven countries. Well, you know, clans. Clans. Um, 
two of which start with only two units. Oh, really? Fuck. Two of which start... So there's the... Um, actually, I should go back to the previous... There's the Orkneys, the uh, Hebrides. the Hebrides. Um, They're the ones with only two. Yep. Um, there's... Oh, if I go back to... It's actually easier talking to the first turn because then I can sort of go back and forth to... It's the Outer Hebrides. Yep. starts with two. And then you've got... Um, three clans that start with three units and that's um, Edinburgh Glasgow mm, yeah Glasgow no yes Glasgow oh yeah so oh yeah okay well, my bad Edinburgh Glasgow what's that brown one Kintyre uh, and that Kintyre, purple one blah, blah. Aberdeen remember that Paul McCartney song no no well insert it now yeah, so Aberdeen, Kintyre, Edinburgh, and Glasgow start with four units. And uh, Dundee. And Dundee starts with four units. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, starts with four. Fuck. Um, if you had to really sort of do like a deep dive into what the statistics around this are, right? Um, but in... In... in from what I've observed, the two northern ones would start with two units of pop. Are probably kind of like the wicked witches of the game. You yep. know, like they're they're raiders. I don't know if they're really in with a chance to win the match. Um, well, they would have been the areas that were traditionally um, Viking type of you know settlements, weren't they? From memory. Mm. Yeah, well, they were. Um, I guess. What's the year this is set in? Good question. Um, so this is set in 1701. Oh wow, so it's quite late in the Scottish period. Yeah, um, and it removes England and Ireland out of the um, out of the equation. Um, you can't circumnavigate to the south of the map. What do you mean by that? So you can't move from the North Sea territory through to Solway Firth. Well, that makes sense because it's a fucking long way. Yeah, you have to go all the way around England. Yes, and, and, that's and the English won't like that. They'll yeah. kind of kill you. So that's why they don't give you that option because you're going to die. Um, but I've never been to Scotland. Have you been to Scotland? Yeah, um, twice. Twice? Yeah, well, I, had, I had a week in Scotland on a Ambi family holiday which wasn't just my family, it was my mum and my dad and yeah. my sister and brother-in-law and her kid at the time, she's now got multiple kids, all driving around in like the A-team van for a week doing each other's head in. Bravo. <laughs> um, and on the other side, when I did my uh, most recent tour, when I, when I did the uh, interviews with... Actually, when I interviewed in um, Edinburgh... With uh, Captain Meem, yep. I was up in Edinburgh there for about oh, fuck four or five days. Did a bit of a bit of a look see around the Dumfries area, which is where the uh, uh, one one part of the Amby Scottish clans come from. Okay. Other bits of Scottish clans come from up this Orkney and Shetland Island area. I don't know where Canis comes from. I think it's kind of down this area. But you know, what do I know? I have to actually look at a map. There's a map Not there. Just, I, I know, but you know, it hasn't got, <laughs> hasn't, hasn't got the surname on it. Um, 
Yeah. I, I, I like it, you know, in that it just sort of takes a region of the world, zooms in on it and says, fuck the English, fuck the Irish. Let's just, just fight amongst ourselves. Fight amongst that ourselves, that is. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so, um, yeah, cool. So you're, you're playing the game. How do you find the map? How do you find the dynamics? Because you've got this massive amount of neutral space around in the middle that like everybody can kind of contest how does mm. that work out well uh, you know hard to really say really without sort of kind of giving away who I am but um, I, I I feel like it's, 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 it's a bit of an illusion going on and I can sort of see with the geography of Scotland the way it kind of is with the big old mountains and all that sort of stuff Yep, there's not a lot of east-west conflict. Yep. There's a lot of north-south conflict. Yeah. But there's not a lot of east-west. So, um, I don't know where that's just the nature of the particular game I'm playing. Um, but it'd be interesting to see how this game, uh, where this variant plays out over. Oh, okay. Oh, hey, yeah. folks. Right. Hi. And we're recording on a different um, format. <laughs> on Ambie's phone. Yeah. Sorry, we fucked up. Um, did we talk about it? Yeah, you fucked up really. Yeah, I fucked up really. So, so we talked about earlier about how the podcast has been going for almost four years now, and not once have I actually cleared all the recordings we've made over that period of time on the SD card. So, result being is that the SD card is exactly now full. <laughs> it's well and truly full. So, um, I, I, we actually don't know exactly when it cut out. Um, but it was getting close towards yes. the end of when that, I was talking about Scott. The yeah, that's right. Yeah. 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 Which is okay because we were... We're almost finished really anyway. Finished anyway, so... Yeah, we were going to talk about one other variant, but I think we might just hold that one over for another episode. And, and maybe, maybe, maybe I can attract another a number of good players to play that one so that I can give my own take on that. Yeah, I'll be interested, yeah. So, um, yeah, apologies again for the audio quality at the end. Uh, that's my fault. But, yep. Onwards and upwards. I, and I will make sure I kind of clear all the old crap off the uh, SD card. <laughs> Figure it out. Before open the it. next one. Yeah, anyway. So, what was the last thing you wanted to talk about, Andy? I don't know. Oh, yeah. I guess we'll just hold that one over later for another time. Oh, okay. Oh, in which case... Well, it's, it's the, it's, we're, we're, it's we're kind of a bit of a teaser. Yeah. The, the teaser is stupid greedy versus smart gains. Ooh, sounds tasty. All right. Yeah. I fall into the trap of being stupid greedy pretty often. I get too stupid greedy too often and, you know, logical part of the brain just doesn't work. <laughs> All right. We'll talk about it another time. All right, guys. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs>